Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul now. There's a mouthful. All right, so this is how we see ourselves, all right? This is how we see ourselves. We are sojourners, we are exiles. We, we don't belong here. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. To abstain from the passions of this flesh. Now notice, he said abstain. Now that's, that's a powerful word. He didn't say use in moderation, okay? Not in moderation. He said, abstain. Just don't do it. From the passions of the flesh. These are incredibly strong desires of the flesh. This would deal with alcohol. This would deal with sex. Okay, these are strong passions, any kind of an addiction, okay? The passions of the flesh, the, the things that the flesh wants. He said, don't do this, and my, my pen's not working really good. One of these days I need to get a new machine. He didn't say do it in moderation. He said abstain. Now, now brothers and sisters, please, there are many things in life that you do that are extremely addictive. And, and it becomes a passion of the flesh, whether it's pornography or whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs, whether it's sex. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I don't even want to take time to get into this today, but Peter has one solution for it. Abstain. You know, if you don't do it, there's nothing that can grow in you. Abstain. And he said, now, these passions of the flesh, they wage war against your soul. These passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Now, let me take you back to the, uh, the Conqueror series that we watched as men a couple of years ago. One of the things that shocked me when I first watched that video, and that's why I had it for all the men, is how pornography changes the chemistry of the brain even more than a crack cocaine addiction. They, they show medically, a brain on pornography and a brain on cocaine. And the one on pornography is worse. It changes the, the very chemical balances of the brain. Now, now, you have to understand, there are things that you get into that are, are passions of the flesh. The, these things that create addictions within you. And again, alcohol, sex, drugs, the, these these things, and he said, the only way I can tell you to handle it, Peter says, is to abstain, because it's going to wage war against your soul. And I, I think with me, think with me how Lot was vexed in his righteous soul because of the, the sinful environment that he lived in there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, your soul is your, your attitudes, your emotions, your desires. You know, a guy walked up to me one day and he said, Pastor Summer, you're just not normal because you don't do these kind of things. And I said, you know, number one is when I was young, God spared me from a lot of that. I said, but number two, I've just learned since I got saved, there's things I don't get near. And when you don't get near them and you abstain from them, there's no war against your soul. Now, now beloved, please, I want you to be happy. And this is Peter. He, he, he says, listen, I'm urging you. I'm begging you. Peter's saying he wants you to be happy. He wants your, your will, your desires, your attitudes. He wants you to be happy. There's going to be a war. If you, start, if you start trying to do things in moderation rather than just abstain, there's going to wage war against your soul. Now, in some ways, maybe I'm blessed that I grew up and there was a lot of alcoholism in my family. So I just learned as a young man, you know, you, you just got to be careful with that. And then when I got saved, <laughs> I just said, okay, I'm saved now. And I've never touched the stuff since. Now, please, it wages war against your soul. I'm going too long. He said, keep your conduct. This is the way you live among the Gentiles. He said, among the unsaved Gentiles. He's writing to the Jewish believers. So that, 
when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He said, now listen, there's going to come a day Jesus is coming. And you know what? They can say everything they bad they want to say about you right now. And they do. He said, they call you evildoers now. But on the day of visitation, they will have to stand before God where truth is spoken. And they will have to discuss your good deeds. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors sent by them to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. All right, so here's the, the purpose of government. And here's the responsibility to government. All right, for the Lord's sake, be subject to. I mean, whether it's the barangay captain or whether it's the, the mayor or whether it's a congressman or whether it's the president, be, be subject. I mean, you know, please forgive me. And, and I don't want to get political, but you know what? These people who want to fight putting on a mask and putting on a shield, you know what? I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like wearing a shield. But you know what? The government has asked us to do it. So for the Lord's sake, I mean, please, okay, for the Lord's sake, okay? I mean, for the Lord's sake. I mean, for the Lord's sake. I mean, please, for the Lord's sake, okay? For the Lord's sake, be subject to every human institution. If they ask us to wear a mask, wear a mask. If they ask us to wear a shield, wear a shield. If they ask us to wash our hands with alcohol so many times a day that our hands look like alligator skin, that's okay. For the Lord's sake, okay? For it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence. Now, now there's a great truth. He said, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Doing good shuts the mouth of the critics. Okay, I like that. Doing good shuts the mouth. How to shut up critics. Just go do good. <laughs> Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now notice, cover up for evil. You know, there are so many people, please forgive me. Oh, I'm free, we can get drunk. I'm free so we can have premarital sex. I'm free so we can hang out in the clubs and do things we should not do. I'm, we're free. Jesus set us free. Whom the Son of God has set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. We live by grace, not by the law. And it's just a theological cover up for evil. He said, but living as servants of God. He said, I'll honor everyone. I like that. Honor everyone. Now, sometimes when I've got young pastors and we're sitting out at a restaurant someplace, and I watch how they treat the waiters and the waitresses, I, I get after them. I said, now listen, be, be nice to these people, okay? If, thank these people. When they bring you your food, say thank you. When you ask them to do something, say please. Didn't your mama teach you any manners? Honor everyone. Now, you, you, you can be nice to people. <laughs> you just meditate on that one for a while. Love the brotherhood. Love the believers. Fear God. That's respect God. Honor the empire. Or emperor. Or empire. Emperor. I'm sorry. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, we can translate that as work environment. Employees, employees, be submissive to your masters with all respect. If you work for somebody, show some respect for them. It's amazing to me how easy it is for everybody to talk against the boss, okay? Maybe, well, you say that because you're a boss, Pastor. You know what? I said this before I was a boss, okay? I worked a lot of meaning, menial jobs in my life, all right? I mean, I've pumped gas, I've worked on cars, I've put grocery on shelves, I've bagged groceries in the grocery stores, I mean, I've painted houses, you name it, I've done it. I've done a lot of menial jobs in my life. But you know what? It's, to the people who you work for, show a little respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, wow. You know, as a boss, sometimes I have to do things. You know, sometimes you have to make decisions about people. Now, in your mind, it's just. But, you know, there are people that in their mind, it's not just. But you know what? If they don't like you, there's no more respect. 
even if they're unjust. Now, I've had some unjust bosses in my life too. I mean, I've had some mean, nasty bosses in my life. But you know what? I've always been taught to show respect. Maybe because I grew up in a small town where everybody knew you, you know. But even those that are unjust, or if you think they're unjust, they may be doing what's right, but because it affects you, you don't think it's right. Uh, where, where's your respect? For this is a gracious thing. Oh, this is a gracious thing. All right. What is a gracious thing? This is a gracious thing. <laughs> this is a thing of grace. Do you have any grace in you? Then show respect. Show respect to the good and the gentle, and also show respect to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. When mindful of God, wow. When you're mindful of God, you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. You still show respect when you're mindful of God. Maybe sometimes as Christians, um, so let's put it this way. Disrespect equals not mindful of God. Now, I'm not even talking about whether it's it's true. I'm not talking about whether it's just a perceived injustice. This is when it's truly an injustice. When you're truly suffering unjustly. If you can't show respect to the person who's treated you that way, you're not mindful of God. Man, don't you hate this stuff? <laughs> you know, there are things the Bible teaches that are so hard to live. What credit is it if you, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it that you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. All right. So here is not just this is real, not perceived. Now, now let's just let's just haling bawalang. Let's just say that you are a hundred percent in the right, and your boss is a hundred percent in the wrong. He said, "What good is that if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure?" Okay. Let, let's say you 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 get fired, you get laid off, you get retrenched, you. You get a reprimand, whatever, from your boss. And you know what? You've done wrong. He said, what credit is that to you? He said, but if you suffer and you truly, not just perception, you truly have done nothing wrong, then here's that gracious thing again, okay? Here's that gracious thing in the sight of God. You, you did something that was gracious, for to this you have been called. Wow. Don't you just, to this, what is this? This gracious thing. Okay, it's to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now again, this is not just a perception of injustice. This is true injustice. He said, if you can't show respect, to somebody who has truly showed you an injustice, then you're not mindful of God. He said, and you know what? <laughs> you're not acting like Jesus. Remember, he was gracious, even though he was beaten. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. He didn't go out and try to tell lies and justify himself. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, this is true injustice. This is not perception, all right? None of this. Let me write this. Let me write this real strong here. Real, not perceived. Let's just say that it's really all true. You have truly been mistreated. Uh, Jesus didn't revile in return. He didn't threaten. What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Jesus did all of this for us. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned 
to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Now, there's tremendous truth there in, in, in salvation and healing. By his wounds, you have been, past tense, all the provision for your healing is taken care of. Now, let me close this out by saying this. Some of you as pastors, some of you as leaders, here's a, a little separation that I've had to learn to make in my life. You endure all of this when it's against you. But you still have to protect your family and you still have to protect the sheep that you're responsible for. So it's one thing to suffer unjustly. It's all coming against you. That we should do. But when people are trying to hurt the sheep, we have a rod and we have a staff and we protect the sheep. When people are trying to destroy our family, we have a rod, we have a staff, and we protect our family. But all of this is personal, okay? This is all personal, not leadership, okay? This is all personal, not leadership. Now, G Jesus made sure that his followers were protected. He made sure. He said, Jesus told the Father, Lord, I've protected them. So Jesus protected the followers. But Jesus suffered personally. As a leader, you have to learn how to take a punch personally. But you don't let somebody punch one of the members. You don't let somebody hurt the members. That's when you cloud up. and, As they would say when I was a boy, you cloud up and rain all over people. When they try to hurt the people. Man, if somebody wants to walk up and just knock you upside the head, you know what? If they're going to walk up and sucker punch you, let them do it. And just get up off the floor and say, now, would you like to do that again? And I mean, I can take it longer than you can keep giving it. You're just going to wear yourself out. But if they hit your wife, you knock them flat. If they attack your child, you knock them flat. You got the difference? If it comes against you personally, you take it. Even if it's unjust, you still take it. But you don't let people hurt your family. Connect group leaders, if people want to sit there and do all kinds of horrible things against you, fine. We take it. But you don't let people hurt the members. Amen? All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
welcome back to Ezekiel, the most drama, drama prophet that we have in the whole Bible, especially in these prophetic books of the Old Testament. He is a drama prophet who used every kind of literary form and every kind of theatrical form to communicate the message of God to the people. Sometimes... It seemed that they listened, but many times God calls them the rebellious house, and they would not listen to him. And remember the words of God to Ezekiel right at the beginning. Even if they don't listen, you still have to say it. <laughs> and so it is with all of us, even if our neighbors, our friends, even if they don't want to listen, if they don't want anything to do with God, it's still up to us to share the love of God, to share the way of salvation so that they know that God is there for them. Well, today we are going to pick up in chapter 34, and you are going to see how chapter 34 is all about shepherds. In today's terms, we will say pastors. What should pastors be like? What should they really be like? What can you expect from your pastor? This is, I know we have Psalm 23, which is a shepherd psalm. It's all about the good shepherd. We have John 10, which is all about the good shepherd. And it's so descriptive and beautiful. We have other passages in the New Testament as well in the epistles that refer to shepherds and how to be a good shepherd. But there's nothing like this chapter in terms of laying it out. You know, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is going to be thorough and lay it out exactly as God says it. We are going to be left with no doubt whatsoever what the, in those days, the priests were doing in Israel, but what God expected them to be doing in terms of taking care of the sheep. So let's get into chapter 34 and see what is going on here. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? Boom, number one, you have shepherds, pastors. There are pastors who want to feed themselves instead of taking care to feed the sheep. So in this case, we are talking about fat shepherds and skinny sheep, and that should not be. There is a mindset among some people that the sheep, that's the congregation, that's the people, are there to, ex they exist or they, they are there to benefit them and not the other way around. Of course, pastors are there to benefit the people. And there needs to be a shepherd. The people, the sheep need a shepherd. But these shepherds, they had this mindset that was backwards. And God was setting them straight. Shepherds are to put sheep first. Amen. Shepherds are to put themselves last, but the sheep first. Okay, so fat shepherds and skinny sheep. Feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. So they, they're taking everything from the sheep. The wool, the meat, they're getting everything. The, the, it's flowing in the wrong direction here. <laughs> the sheep are providing for the shepherd instead of the shepherd providing for the sheep. So very, very different from our picture in our mind of the good shepherd, right? The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. So what are shepherds supposed to be doing? 
feed the sheep, strengthen the sheep, heal the sick, tend to the injured, go after the strays, seek the lost. There is just a nice list there. It's like a job description of what a good pastor is supposed to be doing. But of course, what did they do? They harshly ruled them, which <laughs> would have been terrible. It would have terrified the sheep if their shepherd was harsh, because sheep, as you know, are very timid animals. And they took everything from them, like, you work, you feed me, you clothe me, sheep. Mm, absolutely an opposite one. So, because the shepherds were that way, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. This is so sad. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Now here in verse 5, this is the first of probably nine or ten times within this one little passage where God calls them my sheep. <laughs> You can look at God and you can say, God, I'm your sheep, <laughs> because God looks at his people as my sheep. And sometimes pastors have this tendency to say, my people, yeah, oh, my people will give for that. Oh, my people will give. Oh, yeah, my people, my, not my people, God's people. And you always have to remember that God says, my sheep, my sheep. Yeah, those are my sheep. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Sheep need a shepherd. And I know there are also churches that feel like they don't need a pastor. They just have some businessmen run the church itself. They have different people speak. But sheep need a shepherd. What happens if they don't have one? They become prey for the wild animals. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> okay, here it comes. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep, my sheep have become a prey and my sheep, have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. You know, I said nine or 10. Well, I think we're already at nine or 10. <laughs> we're going to have a whole lot of my sheep before we finish this chapter. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. So what is the result of really, really bad pastors? The sheep are hurt. The sheep get scattered. The sheep get preyed upon by predators, all kinds of predators. And definitely, whose sheep are they? They're God's sheep. And we find out that therefore, there is accountability. You know, Shepherds, pastors are accountable to God for neglect. And when they, I'm sorry, go through times like this year, this, <laughs> this 2020 that we're having, the pandemic, we started off here in the Philippines with a volcano and then a pandemic and we've had floods, we've had storms. When we go through things like this and shepherds are just Oh, well, you know, um, we're not having church yet. We haven't reopened. So see you guys next year. When shepherds neglect their sheep, there is accountability because shepherds are going to answer to God for every one of those sheep. Remember, the good shepherd knows them all, knows them by name, leads them out, goes before them, and so on. They're going to be accountable to God for abuse. When the sheep needed them, there was no shepherd. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand to put a stop 
to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The good shepherd will step in and rescue his sheep, and he will hold these lazy, greedy, false shepherds responsible. And you should be comforted by that, that God is watching out for you. And even, even if you're in a church where there's a really bad pastor, God is watching out. And God will step in and God will take care of you. Because whose sheep are you? You're his sheep. You don't belong to somebody else. You're not there to provide the needs of your pastor. Your pastor is there to provide your needs. He's the shepherd, an under-shepherd under the Lord. But it's God who is our good shepherd. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. See, all these things that it was the job description of the shepherd, all these things, God will do it. He will search for his own sheep. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. See, among his sheep, it's where a shepherd belongs. It's where a pastor belongs among the sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still water, right? He's a good shepherd. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, <laughs> and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. No more fat shepherds and skinny sheep, but God will do all of these things. You never have to fear. God is a good shepherd. Now there's a change in who is being addressed in verse 17. He's been talking to the shepherds. Now he's going to talk to the sheep. As for you, my flock, so it's still my flock. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? That's a solid principle for revival time, for family time, for any time. No one else should have to drink after you muddy the waters, right? No one else should have to go and eat messed up food because you were inconsiderate of other people. Selfishness in the body of Christ, no, no place for that. It's not, it's all about me. Bah, bah. It's not about me. It's not about ourselves, right? It's about humility and humility taking care of one another. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Okay, so we had fat shepherds and skinny sheep. Now we have fat and skinny sheep. Spiritually, that's pretty hard to miss because visually it's just right there. 
because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Beautiful, beautiful and reassuring. God is my shepherd, and I am his sheep, and he will take care of me. He will take care of me if I have a really bad pastor, and he will take care of me if I have bully fellow sheep, other sheep in the congregation that are bullying. I will make with them, verse 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace. Now, that's a beautiful covenant. Normally in scripture, when we hear or we read about covenant, we're hearing, it just says the covenant of the Lord. But there are times when it's very specific, like in Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5 and others, it talks about a covenant of salt. And that we know a little bit about. And then there is in um, Exodus 25, verse 12, he made a covenant with the grandson of Aaron for a perpetual priesthood. Uh, in Isaiah, these, Isaiah 54, verse 10, my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So we have here, again, a reference to this covenant of peace, a covenant that it's too bad it doesn't get talked about more often because it is a beautiful, beautiful part of God's relationship with us, a covenant of peace. I like that. I want to be in a covenant of peace with the Lord. And we will see that covenant of peace again in the book of Ezekiel later on in chapter 37. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land. So we get to see what a covenant of peace looks like so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Wow. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing and I will send down showers in their season. So in Israel, there were the former rains and the latter rains. They shall be showers of blessing. I don't know if you have been brought up in a church where they sing hymns, but there is a hymn. There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Yeah, I grew up singing hymns. It's amazing. Once you grow up singing hymns, you will never forget them until you're 100 years old. You will not forget the words of the hymns that you sang when you were growing up. There shall be showers of blessing. Okay, today, it doesn't matter what you are going through in your day. You need to say, Lord, you know those showers of blessing? Shower them upon me, Lord. Shower me with showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. The, these latter rains that would come to increase the yield of the harvest. Yeah, Lord, that's what I want. That's what we need as a family, especially right now, after all we've been through. Lord, increase our harvest by showering us with these latter rains, showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. Here is a positive, then they shall know. How many times have we read that phrase? Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And of all those times we read it, how many times was it following judgment? And there was judgment of the Lord. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. But 
this time. It's following blessing and harvest, latter-day rains falling on our lives. The harvest that God gives us, increasing and multiplying, a beautiful harvest. Then they shall know. Follow the Lord. Follow hard after him with all your heart and watch this kind of then they shall know happen in your life and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey. God is very emphatic. It's his sheep and his sheep will not be prey to anyone. <laughs> that is what God is definite about. They are my sheep and they are not prey. They will be taken care of. They shall no more be prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them a renowned plantation so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. See, another positive, then they shall know. That they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. You and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. Yes, it's so clearly laid out there. Human sheep of my pasture, I am your God, declares the Lord God. Beautiful passage. Of course, it's not beautiful for those fat shepherd who were abusing the sheep, but it is beautiful for us, the sheep, as we see how God cares for us as the good shepherd. Chapter 35. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste, and I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You know, most of the time when I am seeing this phrase, and you shall know that I am the Lord, and it follows judgment, I am reminded of the verses that talk about every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You know, bowing our knee, confessing with our tongue that he is Lord, we do it now in worship, or we do it later in judgment, but it will happen. So we get to choose. For me, I choose, I do it now. I bow my knee before him now in worship. Amen. Because you cherished perpetual enmity, and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make, so imagine it's not enough that you did bloodshed, but you did not hate bloodshed. You know, we have to absolutely hate what is wrong, hate what is evil. It needs to bother us when evil is done. Amen. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go, and I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall and I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you have showed, how many times we see that's what judgment is. It's bringing upon our own selves, on our own heads, those attitudes, those things that we have done, actions and attitudes that you have showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
I have heard all the revilings that you have uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate, they are given to us to devour. And you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth. Oh, Lord, may I never, ever, ever do that in my whole life. May I never do that. Magnify myself against God with my own mouth. But that's what they were doing. And multiplied your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you and you shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 36 And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, Aha! And the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate wastes and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt. What a combination, <laughs> joy and contempt, that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you. <laughs> how many prophecies, how many oracles Ezekiel had to utter against certain places and say, I'm against you, even against the bad shepherds. I'm against you. But look at that. For his people, God says, for behold, I am for you. You know, today you need to realize that your God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? You know that, right? And I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. So we're talking about the whole house of Israel. In other words, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Oh, I like that. How will we know that he is God? For all the good that he does to us, all the good, all the benefits that he blesses us with in our salvation, then we shall know that he is the Lord. Verse 12, I will let people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you. And you shall be their inheritance, and you shall no longer bereave them of their children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nations. And you shall no longer bear the disgrace of the people and no longer cause your nation to stumble 
declares the Lord. Okay, that's our Ezekiel reading for today. (laughs) Did you get something great out of that? I am for you. You are my sheep. You are not anybody's prey, but you are God's sheep, and he is for you. And there are so many beautiful lessons in these little passages that we have been privileged to read together today. That is our Ezekiel reading. That is our morning devotions for today. Thank you for joining us. And please do join us again tonight for our COP online evening service at 7 p.m. God bless.